in the mornings where um, we, we started uh, a series today that's got to run sort of through most of May and June, um, which is about prayer. Um, and as I started planning that series, uh, I started thinking, well, well where, where do we see prayer in the Bible? You know, where is the first bit of prayer that we encounter? So, um, so you can take a mobile phone and you can look up the app, you know, whatever one you choose, or look on a website, or if you're very traditional, get out a concordance and look up the word pray or prayer or praying or prayed. And you might find that it, that word starting off with the root pray appears something of the order of 367 times. You know, just more than one for each day of the year. You know, even if it's a leap year, you've got a bonus one in there. But the first use, the first two uses, in fact, are in Genesis 20. Well, that's miles into the Bible, isn't it? By the time you get to Genesis 20, I mean, you're into the life of Abraham by that stage. And in fact, you're quite a bit into the life of Abraham. That's where um, Sarah and Abimelech are all there together. And it's like, oh dear, what's been going on there? Yes, it's a sister, but actually it's my wife. But the context of prayer appears there, reveals that the concept of coming before God in prayer is already well understood. Prayer is a thing that's understood as much by Abimelech as it is by Abram. Although the word's not been used, prayer has been happening. Quite often, though, we find in those early times, it's, it's the Lord that's taking the initiative. You know, when the three strangers come along to Abram, and Abram offers hospitality at his tent, you know, it's the Lord that's taking the initiative, that's opening the prayer, that's giving that time for people to come before God. And of course, he continually does that. We maybe just ignore it a little bit today. He offers the opportunity. But do we always accept that opportunity? Prayer can be seen as coming close with God and God close to us in conversation. And the first episode in our Bible where that would seem to be, where dialogue is there, um, would appear even before tonight's reading, wouldn't it? Back in Genesis 1, 29 to 30, where the Lord gives humanity seed-bearing plants and fruit-bearing seeds to eat. 
he says this is a it's a blessing nature is here for you because God gives good gifts Though, of course, if you wanted to try and get a chronological thing, you might have to turn over the page to get to Genesis 2 and see the prohibition on the tree of good and evil, which in the Genesis 2 telling of the creation of humanity comes before Eve is made. But in each of those two occurrences, it's God speaking to the humans, but you don't get the humans speaking with God. We don't get a fullness of dialogue. You don't have the response or the initiation, even, that we might be more familiar with. And so, as I pondered, where are we finding prayer? I ended up in the story of the fall. Is it the first prayer? Well, it's certainly the first act of confession. Albeit a kind of half-hearted one. As God comes close, as... God walks in the garden. He seeks to engage with humanity and they attempt to hide. There is, I think, uh, a slight problem. The, the, the writer of Genesis doesn't actually articulate it. But I think Adam and Eve are at a slight disadvantage in their game of hide and seek. You know, is it fair playing hide-and-seek with an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. I think he has the upper hand. He's got to see where they are. He will always win. He is all-seeing, all-knowing, present everywhere, all-powerful. They hide but are not hidden. I don't know quite what bush they're behind, but they might as well be holding up a giant placard saying, I am here, because God will see them. He asks the question, where are you? And perhaps it's not because he doesn't know where they are, but because he hopes to get a response. How will they respond to God? We are not a tradition where it is expected that members confess their sins to the church leader. There have been times in my ministry when people have come to me and shared stories, stories that perhaps they would rather that wider people don't know.
those of us in URC, however, wherever we are, do expect individuals to come before the Lord of their own free will. And perhaps at times they will be led by the Holy Spirit prompting that question. Where are you? What are you doing? What are you up to? And they will confess before another person. Maybe even before the congregation. They might open up their transgressions so that it offers a new beginning. And Neve's confession is perhaps rather like that of a young child caught with their hand in the biscuit jar, but who is still young and naive enough to think they can get away with it. They acknowledge it was wrong, but offer every excuse they can think of. You know, if only the jar of biscuits had had a nice clear label printed on it and had uh, been put in a higher shelf and maybe a lock on the cupboard door then I might not have eaten the biscuit. Then they would have been safe. I thought it was interesting. There's a new Cadbury's Finger advert where uh, a kid goes and gets the, the, the stool and gets the, the biscuit jar out the top shelf of the cupboard. And then he, uh, he's getting called, he's got to be late for school. And you see him giving. So uh, the tin pencil case gets opened and it's got like about three chocolate fingers inside shared with the friend on the bench in the, in the playground. Um, I'm not sure if that would have got that far. I'm sure the mum would have shoved the head back in the house and spot him up there, you know, getting it down. But maybe it's a loving mum that knows what he's up to. God knows what the humans have done. He cannot only see the hiding of Adam and Eve, but knows why. And I wonder what grieves him the most. Was it, was it the eating? Was it the hiding? Or what follows? The useless attempt by Adam to slopey shoulder the eating of the fruit onto his wife and then Eve following suit and blaming the serpent. Our Heavenly Father, like any earthly parent, is keen to hear the reality of the situation because telling the story truthfully is an acknowledgement of our own part within the events. And it is only when we recognise what we have done that any movement forward, any future trust can take place. If we deny our sin, then we cannot be forgiven. Richard reminded us in that kind of absolution that assurance of pardon, as we would have it in the URC, 
that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God loves us. And he longs for us to come and confess and receive that forgiveness. Of course, if we carried on reading, reading in Genesis 3, we don't particularly hear forgiveness. But we do see that God continues to love the couple. God provides more appropriate clothing. He makes them more fully aware of what the near future and what the pains of human life will have for them and their descendants. They are expelled from the Garden of Eden. But yet God is still near. There's difficulties on the way ahead. But we see how in the story of Cain and Abel, there's still that conversation going on that that God is ready to prompt the question about what's going on and whether it's honest replies that are forthcoming might be a bit of a challenge God wants us to be in relationship with him God wants our sins to be forgiven. He wants us to know eternal life. It is for this purpose that Jesus the Christ came and dwelt among us. It was for this reason that the body was broken and the blood shed. It was because of this Christ is lifted up from the grave victorious. So let us acknowledge who we are. Let us be honest before God. There is nothing he has never heard or seen before so always be ready to confess to be forgiven and to have newness of life Amen